He keeps himself in trim by bending bars of iron. This bar is the genuine article which we tested before he began to play with it. Beyond the bend. Beyond the bend. All right. Mr. Chris Rice, welcome to Beyond the Bend. Thanks for having me. So we'll start it like I start every one. Tell me about the first time you remember seeing someone bend a piece of steel. My first time was not probably watching. My first interest came from the Mighty Adams, Slam the Hammer Man, the old strength and health, the, you know, the turn of the century strong men shows and stuff. Probably the first person I saw in real life was probably Pat Pogolitis or Dennis Rogers. Uh, probably at like the night of strength at uh, the Arnold and uh, was fascinated by what Pat could do. I mean, the guy is just amazing. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. He's somebody that I, I, he's on my list and I've made a little bit of contact and I, I think we'll make it happen eventually. I know people really want to hear that one. So just take me back and, um, you know, starting as a kid were you were you always interested in athletics and strength as a as a kid you know i was the normal small town kid and interested in all the different sports of course we didn't have as many options as they do quite today maybe but uh, uh i was pretty sickly as a young kid i had rheumatic fever at five and just skinny as a rail so at age 11, I got my first weight set. I saved up all my yard mowing money and uh, bought a 110 pound billard uh, weight set and started lifting. And I'm still at it and I've still got that same weight set. No kidding. <laughs> yeah. I'm using it right now for uh, my wrist curl challenge I've set for myself to get back up to 200 pound wrist curl. Oh, wow, wow. You know, there's actually, I don't know if I've brought it up on the show before, but just in my own research, there's some type of correlation or maybe just coincidence between super strong people and illness as a child. I know uh, in my reading that the uh, Mighty Adam had some stuff go on as a child, Marvin Eater, uh, Dennis Rogers, I believe, had something. And I even think Pat Povolitis might have too in, in, in my Pat's research. Got a rod in his spine, I know. Yeah. So some of uh, just some of the strongest people ever had some type of adversity as a child. I, I just find that that correlation a little bit interesting. I started out uh, when I was born, I had to wear those little shoes with the steel rod between them because I was so pigeon toed. Oh. <laughs> and then I had rheumatic fever at five. And at six, at 15, I was in a pretty nasty car wreck, uh, had a traumatic brain injury and uh, blew out most of my lower teeth, uh, two crushed vertebrae in my neck and three in my mid back, crushed my chest, collapsed lung, uh, turned my body black from the waist down. And, you know, just that was the start. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Yikes. Um, so you, you were kind of building yourself back up after that, right? That was better. Yeah. It, when, when you're so young, like 15, you never think about the fact that, you know, this isn't all going to work out. You just go ahead and get on with it. And at 15, your body heals so well that you, you make it through. Yep. Yep. That's, that's wild. So, how did you find yourself taking to the weights at such a young age? What were you, were you just reading and just copying the people you looked up to? It's in health magazine and then muscular development and Ironman, all the, the old time monthly magazines, you know, I subscribed to all of those and picked a routine and well, or many, many routines. Uh, I had three or four friends in the neighborhood and we lifted on my mom and dad's front porch, you know, rain or shine or snow or whatever. <laughs> and, uh, and we got stronger. Uh, we had a hundred, hundred pounds cause the 10 pounds was for the two dumbbell bars. So, mm -hmm. you know, 10 reps was good. 20 ought to be better. And maybe 30 or 40 is even better yet because you only have a hundred pounds. 
Yep. And we just kept going and going and going. And I think that the shape I was in probably had a big impact on the recovery from that car wreck. Yeah, I'm sure. So how did things progress as you, you got to be an older teenager into a young man? What other type of training did you get into or were there any other sports on the table? Well, I played football until I had that wreck and then I wasn't allowed to play anymore because my jaw was full of wires and screws and crap. Uh, I, I was pretty terrible football player, actually. I mean, we ran, uh, you know, right up the middle, about nine plays out of 10 and threw the ball maybe once a game. The only thing I could do was run fast and catch the ball. So I wasn't a whole lot of good to anybody. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I was pretty decent at track. Uh, I set the league and school and league pole vault record uh, when I was a junior. They uh, bought me a fiberglass that was on an aluminum pole, always into a sawdust pit. Then uh, they bought me a, a fiberglass pole, but I weighed like 160 and they bought like a 190 pound pole, which didn't help anything. <laughs> uh, we had a weight routine in high school that I've never really heard of before or since. Uh, we used a 45 pound fixed weight. We did three sets of 25 reps as fast as you could do them. So we did jump squats with 45 pounds. And in a town of 2,500 people, we had four kids running 10 flat 100 yards. Now that's yards, not meters. Uh -huh, uh -huh. And I, you know, there's obviously some genetic lottery luck in there, but I have to think that that workout had something to do with that kind of speed. Yep. Uh, my name's still up on the board for the, the 880 relay that's never been beat. Wow. Uh, qualified for state junior and senior year. Didn't do any good, but qualified. Uh, I won several diving competitions, springboard competitions, small town. Uh, running, obviously, all the short distance stuff. Yep. Uh, one thing that I did that's not normal, really, is I competed in every event in track and field except the hurdles. Wow. <laughs> Just because <laughs> I could. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. That's cool. So uh, yeah. your name's somewhat attached uh, to the grip community. When did the uh, pursuit of grip strength come into your life? Uh, 2003. I discovered the grip board and bending really wasn't a thing at that time. Uh, so like everybody, we just had still pictures. We didn't have any videos. So I was posting some of the things I could do. And some of the people knew how old or what old I was and started calling BS on me. Uh -huh. uh, so I met Nick Rosendahl and Sean Dockery out of Columbus. And we had a, the first gripmas, we called it, it wasn't really a grip contest. It was a little bit of everything. Uh, we just had some guys come down and we lifted stones and we, we, Doc had a blob. We tried to lift that. I lifted it. And we just did a whole bunch of stuff. And that started the, the whole gripmas Carroll contest that I ran until 2019. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it, and then the next year, of course, we got into more traditional grip stuff. And from there on, it became, you know, all grip stuff. The, so, good. Uh, so what was it about the grip strength? You know, you had a, at that time, obviously you had many, many years of traditional strength training and endurance through the track and field and, uh, what got you interested in improving your grip? What were you doing to where you found the grip board? Well, I started rock climbing in 1983, my wife and I and my kids. And I found the grip board and I thought, you know, man, better grips going to be a great thing for climbing. Yeah. Well, it turned out that traditional grip sport isn't that great a help to rock climbing. But uh, then I got hooked on the grip sport too. Uh-huh. And I would able to do a lot of the traditional grip feats, you know, pretty quickly because of, you know, my background and stuff. Right. 
I seem to have a natural affinity for the pinch lifts. I don't have very big hands for a guy my size. So my fat bar is just average, but uh, I've got a lot of the stuff on the top 100 or top 50 list, whatever you can find my name on there doing different things. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it seems like uh, everyone I talk to, you know, there. I don't know if there's been an exception yet. It's like the guys that get into the grip and the bending have one of three backgrounds. Generally, they they come from powerlifting, they come from climbing, or they come from some grappling uh, system, and maybe sometimes all three. You know, even better. But uh, you know, obviously, in my experience on the mat. I know the guys that had a rock climbing background had very, very strong grips. And, um, you know, also it comes up a lot on the show is just the, the tradesmen, you know, they had excellent grips, the mechanics and the, the stone masons and the brick layers, the, these guys, their grips were intense. And that was part of the reason that I knew I wanted to develop my own grip uh, during this uh, past year. I started out though. My first teenage job was uh, climbing, trimming trees for Bartlett Tree Company. So that helped the grip, you know, running yep. salt, everything. Uh, I've done construction work on the side ever since, well, since I was big enough to swing a hammer, really. Yeah. So the, the whole background was conducive to grip strength. Yep, absolutely. And what did you do for a living? Was that? Uh... Uh, I was a walking mailman here in the small town where I live. Oh, okay. Yep. Putting in the miles with that for sure. <laughs> yeah. Kept my heart pretty healthy, probably. Yeah. That's Wore cool. out my <laughs> knees and my feet, but. <laughs> <laughs> yep. And you, you did some coaching along the way, correct? Uh, I still coach. I'm coaching uh, shot and disc. Uh, All right. Cool. I think this is my 14th year. I couldn't coach until after I retired. I retired in 2003. Uh, so we're having a lot of fun with that. I've got one girl looks like she's going to go to the state probably this year. All right. That's cool. And what kind of, uh, you know, I had heard through the grapevine that you incorporate the grip stuff into the uh, training of your, your team. So what kind of things do you have your uh, throwers doing in relation to uh, grip strength? One of the things we do that helps the throwers on the discus is uh, just taking a weight plate, holding it by the rim and just curling your fingers to lift the plate, mm, get that, yeah. that fingertip strength for the discus. Uh, we don't do a lot of uh, like pinch lifts and stuff. We don't, we don't do a lot of weight room work with the throwers. Uh, I have uh, 14 throwers and only one shot and one disc circle. So I'm trying to get as many throws in and I can, as I can in an hour practice, uh, which is more important than the weight room because most of these kids lift on the side anyway. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's very interesting. I, I like the idea of just like, uh, you know, it's, it's very cool, the certs and bending and, you know, the lists and all of this, but uh, this type of stuff as a training modality is probably like the most interesting to me because that's the way I found it was like, how can I improve my grip for my grappling? You know, of course, it's been fun, you know, getting on rosters and lists and stuff along the way, but I think the actual training of it um, is uh, most interesting to me. And I'm certainly looking forward to seeing how my my grip feels when I return to grappling. So let's let's talk about bending and your experience with that. When was the first time you actually attempted a, some type of steel bending? I don't remember what year. I'm going to guess 2006 or seven, maybe. Uh, okay. They started talking about it on the grip board. Of course, there were no videos. Just I can bend this piece of steel, and there's a picture of me while I'm doing it. And I was struggling. I thought I cannot get my hands up underneath my neck. I mean, so the bends that I did double overhand were pretty much done in center chest, uh -huh. which definitely hurt me. And I wasn't having a whole lot of luck. And uh, I don't know if you remember Frank Henritzi, Frankie boy on the grip board, probably way before your time. Yeah, no, I haven't even heard that back. name come up yet. Yeah, well, he was from Germany. 
And he was coming to the United States and I invited him to come over and, and spend some time with us. And he came and out in the garage we went. And uh, I started out bending like, I don't know, a yellow or a blue nail. And by the time he left, I had bent my first grade eight, just showing me what to do instead of seeing a picture of some guy doing something. Right, wow, yeah. That makes all the difference. <laughs> and of course, the only thing that, that we worked on was double overhand because that was really what was talked about in the beginning. There wasn't any reverse and double underhanded and no no braced. None of that stuff was discussed much. Yep. Any horseshoes going on at that time or did that come later? There were, but not by me. Uh, I, think, I don't know when Pat started doing all the horseshoes. He was the, the instigator, I think, of the whole horseshoe thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know what I, I learned recently? I think it was Don Cummings that told me, but um, that Da Vinci actually was uh, known to bend Horse some horseshoes. Bend. Yeah. Had you heard that? Oh, yeah. That's so yeah. interesting. <laughs> so a lot of the old time uh, strong men, the vaudeville strong men and traveling strong men in Europe and stuff, uh, they all incorporated bending into their routines, into their shows. Yeah. Yeah. So did you ever explore the other styles or did you just kind of just keep it to the uh, double overhand for your bending? In the beginning, it was double overhand. And then somewhere along the line that people started talking about reverse and double underhand. And I found reverse and I was instantly fairly good at reverse. Okay, uh, cool. What, whatever particular strengths that takes, I seem to have developed over the years. Uh, my best, I'll say my best reverse bend was done at one of Jed's contests. Uh, it was a 505 pound piece of drill rod uh, rated by Eric Milfeld in a competition. Wow. Uh, I could reverse reds fairly regular. Uh, wow. Hated, hated grade eights, those stringy <laughs> pieces of crap. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Double underhand, I really sucked. I don't know what it was, but I could not figure out how to hook up on a double underhanded bend. Interesting. I, I, I'd like to talk to somebody that really knows, I guess, like musculature or anatomy or something and break down because I've talked to so many people now in these 40 episodes and it's, yeah, everybody agrees double, double overhands your most power and people bend the biggest stuff that way. But then when it comes to people's secondary style, it's split and I don't know, it's close to 50-50 whether people prefer double underhand or to reverse. So personally, I stink at reverse and, and uh, my double underhand is much, much more powerful. And, um, you know, but I've spoke to many people that are similar to you as far as their reverse being uh, much more powerful and double underhand feels so awkward. And I just wonder um, what's actually going on there and, and what you develop through your training uh, maybe it's just extremely strong wrists uh, in a particular direction that allowed you to uh, succeed at uh, reverse over double underhand and what the guys that are good at double underhand have done that allowed them to be good at that and not the reverse. It, it's, yeah. it's so interesting to me. I was as strong reverse as I was double overhand. Wow. Uh, probably my best uh, double overhand bend was probably a five inch red and that's about the same thing as reverse wow that's that's some strong reverse bending <laughs> I, that was what i could do i mean the, yeah. the double overhand it just I, I never clicked i could never get that high under the neck elbows forward type position uh, yeah. So I'm right in the middle of my chest. I mean, on my YouTube page, you can see me bend one of the early reds in leathers with crushed down pads and all that old technology, we call it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, and it's obvious why I was never going to be a great big double overhand bender. Do you think that's just mobility in your shoulders oh, or it, just? I think it's something to do with my shoulder width you know, forearm length, getting my hands. I mean, the time I do that, my arms are at a big angle away from my body. I can't get that yeah. push that everybody else gets. Yeah. Something yep. in my anatomy just doesn't allow that. Yeah. No, I think anatomy plays a big role because, you know, there's 
I, you know, I've seen very powerful shorter benders, extremely powerful tall benders like Brett Bracken comes to mind. He's a, he's a tall guy and he, he can crush reds in like two hits. Uh, he uses his, his length to his advantage. Um, I don't, in my personal experience, I feel a lot more comfortable at six inches um, than seven. That that I, retraction I is just uncomfortable. That, yep, it's uh, it takes a lot of work, um, a lot of warming up of the shoulders to start to feel comfortable at that seven inch length and forget about I, anything longer. I tried and tried, and I just I never could do it. Yep, yep. So. You participated in bending for quite a while. Do, do you still do any bends these days occasionally? Well, yes and no. Uh, <laughs> I had a heart attack November the 2nd and got a stent put in and they asked me not to strain, so to speak, oh, okay. for three to six months. Uh, yeah. Well, I made it till a couple, three days ago and I couldn't take it anymore and I've been a six inch crescent wrench. <laughs> <laughs> which seemed a lot harder than it used to. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I bet. That, <laughs> that's it always was a braced, obviously. Yeah, yep. People like the, those, those wrenches, uh, you know, like as I got into this stuff, I, you know, post something here or there and, you know, uh, rolling up a, a frying pan, that probably got a more, more of a reaction than some of the hardest bolts I've done. And uh, also the wrenches people love, you know, the layman, the, the, the yeah. people that aren't I, in this world <laughs> all my graduating senior throwers i give them all a bent crescent wrench for an eight oh, pin cool. holder to go to college with oh that's cool that's really cool <laughs> i used to give eight inches now the kids are getting messed up because they only get sixes nowadays <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah that's still cool so what you know what what did you like about bending i just find it's like it you know, we know, but I just like to hear your particular thoughts on it is uh, it takes a special kind of person to lay into a piece of steel. And I just like to know what you get out of it and why you've participated in it for so many years. Well, it started out as just a, you know, another challenge to try to accomplish. And then of course, I, I really like grip competitions uh, more so than just training. I trained just so I could do the competitions. Uh, what I really enjoyed was when I got into bending stuff other than short bends. Uh, I really like scrolling uh, because when you get done, you've, you've made something kind of neat and it's a more of a whole body workout than just a short right. bend. Yeah. Actually, I, I think pretty good fitness workout is to just take a piece of whatever is good challenge, but not earth shakingly challenging and just roll it up and roll it up over the period of 15, 20 minutes. Yep. Yeah, that's a, that's a good one. You know, it's so funny, as you started to mention scrolling, I had put out on Instagram, I'm speaking with Chris Rice tonight. And if anyone has any questions, you know, please let me know. And Don Cummings messaged and said, why does he like scrolling so much as you were speaking about it? So that's, uh, pretty, <laughs> that's a coincidence. Well, for one thing, I'm, I'm no longer able to be any good at short bending. I mean, the, the bends that I'm able to do now at 72 are just, they're just not very good bends in the scheme of things. I mean, maybe they are for, you know, an old fart, but they're not anything compared to what I used to do and what the guys are doing now. When I started a red nail was a big deal. When someone right. bent a red nail, I mean, the whole grip world went crazy. Yep. Now, I mean, nobody thinks anything about a red nail. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, I it's, just like it's, the, the actual work involved in a scroll. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, I think Don or Bud Jeffries or somebody was talking about making you strong from all angles that the scrolling and the, you know, oh, the long does. bar bending uh, really make you strong from all angles and weird angles. And I, I like that about it too. I haven't done any recently, but I, I'd like to get back to it soon. Uh, years ago, I bought that little book that Eric Binding put out. Okay. Uh, and that's what I use to learn to scroll. Oh, cool. And I've met Eric a couple, three times and uh, God, he bends some monster steel into some 
ornate shapes. Yeah, Eric's coming on in a couple of weeks, actually. Yeah, I, I spoke to him a little bit. He is a beast. That's what I've heard. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I've heard. Um, so yeah, like as a person that's been around strength, had a relationship with strength for so many years, we talk about functional strength, you know, like, uh, people call it farm strength or, uh, you know, like, uh, old man strength or what are your thoughts on this? Is this, I think what I've heard, you know, throughout the episodes now is like, there's a difference between like tendon strength and, and, and regular muscle strength. And through this type of training, the bending and the grip, we're really conditioning our tendons. And that's what gives you this farm strength, say. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? I think that's probably why I did as well as I did when I started is because I already had that work strength, that farm type strength. Mm -hmm. uh, I didn't start doing any grip until I was in my late 50s. So I had decades of, you know, just hard work. Yeah. And a lot of that was with my hands, you know, swinging sledges and, you know, carrying block and doing heavy work. And I think that's where that the predominant amount of strength that I had. Of course, by then I'd lifted weights for, you know, 50 years too, almost. So I think my tendons and stuff were, were pretty well developed in relation to the, the specific muscle strength that grip and bending requires. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't think short bending is gonna develop dad strengths. Uh, I think long bending, scrolling and stuff might, uh, I think more like axle deadlift, stuff like that is gonna give what dad strength, that ability to walk up and grab a big motor and you know, bear hug it and walk it over and put it on the workbench type stuff. Yep. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Did you ever try any snapping or was that not going on so much? Uh, with... It wasn't going on until I got, you know, older. Uh, in uh, 2017, I developed trigeminal neuralgia. I don't know if you know what that is. I, do, I don't. It is, is a face pain that just Ooh. comes and goes at random. Uh, it was called the suicide disease for throughout history because it was so bad that people would kill themselves. Uh, oh of course, God. now we have medications and stuff. Well, I suffered from that for, I don't know, six months or so until it got diagnosed. Uh, then they, we found a drug that worked and it worked really well right up until it quit about six months later. Oh. Uh, so we tried a whole bunch of other drugs and then, uh, I had brain surgery in September of 19 or 18. And uh, now I got a little steel plate in the back of my head. Wow. But uh, so I didn't bend anything really to speak of during that time. Okay. Uh, the face pain is weird. It's like somebody just takes an electric wire and just stabs you in the face whenever they feel like it. Oh my gosh. Oh, it. Uh, they say pancreatic cancer hurts worse than that does, but nothing else they've measured has that kind of a pain. Really? Yeah, so it Ooh. wasn't any fun at all. Man, that's scary. So you weren't, by the time snapping hit, you, were, you weren't really doing anything to that I, degree of I, intensity. I snapped some, you know, some small stuff. You know, yep. quarter inch steel is pretty easy to snap. Uh, yeah. Just have to, to keep it warmed up. Yeah. Yeah, that's something I've uh, really taken to. It, it reminds me of a fight, a, a grappling fight. Oh, it would. You know? I mean, it, it would it, be a lot like grappling, that kind of determination to just not quit. Yep, yep. At, at my friend Dan Dring across the, the ocean there in the UK, he's like a somewhat of a disciple of David Horn. He's he's He holds the record for a, a red snap in 32 seconds. Oh my God. I can't and, imagine that it breaks that quick. I mean, I know it does, but I mean, yeah. it's just hard for me to imagine being able to work that fast enough to cause that kind of heat to develop. Yeah. Yeah. It's all in the open. It seems as I develop my technique is just like the more torque and the more you can open that thing as close past 90, you know, and uh, the more damage you do to it, uh, the, you know, 
in bending, but also in snapping, I feel like in the just a short time that I've been around, the evolution has just kicked up in speed. And um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, Harido, the, that certification yeah. out of Germany. So Jan is uh, kind enough to be a sponsor for the show. Um, if anyone's looking to order from Harido, you have to use promo code cheers to support the show and save yourself 10%. But we're the, the 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 bolts on the top end of his roster are like so so difficult it's uh, it's unreal i mean they're like you know harder than an edge and this is like uh, stuff that's so elite and uh and he has all this has all the style certs too you know i i did one um attempted one the other day that was just like bending a bolt in a single iron mine pad so he has that one and then he has uh snapping reverse double underhand bare hand for some of the craziest <laughs> yeah, you gotta be nuts to do that yeah there's not too many people on that one <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's very cool that just the evolution to see week by week on instagram and facebook and stuff is just very interesting have you uh, got to see any bends from uh, a canadian named uh, josh goldthorpe he he's no, a i haven't haven't heard of him Oh, well, actually he's a, he's a Highland games athlete. So he's a thrower and stuff. And, uh, he's, he burst onto the bending scene around the same time that I became aware of it. And he's in one year's time done some of the most impressive thing. I mean, he's, he's bending six inch edges. He's bent the 10.9 bolt, uh, for yeah, or I think he's bent the 10. Yeah. He's bent the 10, nine, uh, but he's just just mowed through so many certs. Uh, it's been so impressive to see. And I think that just like fired up the rest of the community. And we see a lot of people really pushing the envelope these days. It's uh, ending kind of comes and goes, it seems like. I mean, it gets really popular and then there's kind of a lull, things kind of plateau. And then all of a sudden, two or three new guys bust on the scene and things yep. go crazy again. And people get, you know, bending's like lifting. I mean, once somebody does this particular bend or lift, then everybody kind of sees, well, that's possible. I can probably manage that. And, you know, it keeps jumping up. I remember in high school, the first kid that ever benched 300 pounds within, you know, a month, there were three or four guys benching 300 pounds. Wow. Yeah, that is possible before that. That is something that's so interesting to me. Um, and, and, and it's just so clear with this kind of stuff. It's like, it's, it's impossible until someone does it. And then it's so possible because then, you know, like five or six people follow him. Uh, uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to be speaking to uh, Stan, Iron Stan Tomiko, I think his last name okay. is. First person to snap a gold. And I, and I, and I just want to speak to him about that experience because, you know, I, I've done one now, you know, like people have done them, but I just can't even imagine like laying into that thing with the intent to snap it, knowing that no one else had, it just must've seemed yeah. like every motion was like iron. You know, it's just, that just oh. seems like a crazy feat to do the Watching first time. The really good benders, you know, just explode into a bend is, is impressive. Yes. Definitely. Yeah, Aaron Cochran probably explodes into a bend. He, he hits some hard enough that almost frightening to watch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You think something's just going to explode out of his body. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Absolutely. There's a guy you should have on the show. I'm working on it. He's not the hard, he's the hard guy to get a hold of. So he's uh, he's such a fooler. I mean, he is at the very top of the grip game. I mean, there are only maybe two or three guys up there at the same level he is overall. Yeah. And yet he's so understated. I mean, underrated, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. I don't know what happens where you know, I understand Jed promotes himself constantly because he has to for his, for his job. Uh, yeah. Other people seem to develop a, a fame or whatever you want to call it without really working at it. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And Aaron, I don't know if he's ever worked at it or not, but I mean, he is just so impressive for someone that most people don't even know who he is. Yeah. I mean, the, the, the guys that have been around, uh, that are at the top, uh, you know, that have been here for years. He, his name comes up with them on every time I speak to somebody that's been around. He's like the the bender and the grip person's favorite bender and grip person. It oh, seems well, like he's, <laughs> he's such a nice guy along with it. I mean, 
that's one of the things that's impressed me the most about grip uh everybody's nice i mean yeah you know i'd have the grip must care and here's some new kid that didn't have a clue what was going on and here's jed you know the world champion at the time you know loading his bar for him yeah yeah that's cool <laughs> Got him yeah i think it's corner trying to give him tips and yeah I, mean, I, I like that yeah absolutely i, I think it's a small enough where you kind of have to be nice, I guess, maybe, or else you wouldn't be included in the yeah, thing. Maybe. I don't know. Uh, you know, I did Highland Games for a while, and those guys are super nice. They just drink a lot more beer than grip guys. Uh, <laughs> yeah. uh, Olympic lifters are, are a strange breed. I started Olympic lifting, I think, when I was like 54. I wanted to try that out. Uh -huh. And uh, the guys were nice, but there's a a whole different attitude. I don't know how to put my finger on it, but they, they think differently than, you know, the rest of us. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. Power lifters, they're just a bunch of grunts like the rest of us. I mean, they don't have, <laughs> they're not as friendly at a competition, I don't think, as uh, like grip guys and stuff. Uh -huh. they, they are so focused at a powerlifting meet that they don't really want to talk to you. Now, afterwards, they're all friendly, but during the comp, it's it's different attitude. Yeah, yeah. So let's talk about how gritness came to be. You know, this is uh, something people talk in such high regard about. I'd like to know how that started as your uh, contest. Well, like I said, I started in 2003 and, you know, people were calling BS on me. Uh, and at that time, Sean Dockery and Nick Rosendahl were two of the, you know, better known guys on the grip board. Uh -huh. And somehow we contacted each other and decided to get together. Well, I had a, you know, a, my pole building that I had turned into a gym. And uh, I invited them and they invited Eli Keener and uh, two or three other guys, Eli's brother and uh, like Jake Brooks. I don't know who, three or four others. And we just got together. And like I said earlier, we just, we did all kinds of stuff. Yeah. Uh, Eli Keener, one hand snatched uh, 198 pounds on an Olympic bar. <laughs> <laughs> one hand snatch. Uh, yeah. There's a guy that I don't know if he even trains anymore, but you talk about a natural strength athlete. Uh-huh. Uh, total, total badass. He was doing, he and his brother uh, were doing the inch dumbbell back when I didn't know anyone that could lift the inch dumbbell. Really? You know, yeah. another person that's come up in the same way you're speaking of him is uh, Cody Burns. People to, uh, talk about him as just somewhat of like a mystical level strength. That's just, they don't know what he's Cody, up to now. But I love Cody. Cody's a good friend. I mean, he's been to Gritmas most of the years, but Cody does one thing that I have never seen anybody else do. If we do, we'll just say pinch and we're doing two hand pinch. I'll do 10 lifts and I start going downhill. Cody will do 50 lifts and he just gets stronger and stronger. Wow. I mean, I've Cody, heard that before. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, I'll take credit where credit's not due uh, for teaching Cody how to do the two hand pinch. Uh -huh. uh, he came to my house because I had developed a reputation as being able to teach people to pinch. And he came and he was pinching, I don't know, just a little over 200 pounds, maybe. And when he left two hours later, he had pinched almost 250. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a couple little tweaks, a couple little tweaks here and there. Yeah. Uh, obviously, he was that strong to start with. He just wasn't using it effectively. Yeah. Yeah, I love the little tweaks. I mean, that's like you can learn so much with just some. That's why I like t talking to so many people. It's, it's helped my development so much because you, you learn little things that make a big difference. Well, I can remember the first time we had actual deadlift with Cody here. Uh, I was scared. His deadlift was so ugly that I thought he was going to blow his spine out because his hands could pick it all up. It didn't really matter yeah. what his hands had. <laughs> but he had this round back way out away from his body, deadlift, and, oh. <laughs> and he would just hang there at the, you know, like 
six inches off the ground position trying to figure out how to get his back to work. Oh, <laughs> wow. You said at the at the start of Gripness that um, uh, the grip board people were uh, not believing what you were doing. What, what were the things that you were doing uh, at that time uh, that people were calling BS on? Well, I was just claiming, you know, that I could pinch two, 235s or, you know, okay. lift a 45-pound blob or close a two-gripper two because there wasn't any, any two-and-a-half gripper at that time. Yeah, uh, yeah. I closed the one and the two first time I ever bought them. I mean, I didn't – and I didn't know anything about setting. Uh, yeah. That's a whole other thing. I'm, I'm that guy on the grip board that hates grippers. <laughs> well, I just don't – Everyone says you got to have a strong chest to close big grippers because you have to set them. Well, it's the grip board. It's not the chest board. Yeah. <laughs> and, and I've argued this with everybody and it's a friendly argument, you know. Yeah. Uh, but I'm just not that guy. I don't do grippers. Uh, yeah. I was, I was pretty good at closing grippers. A couple of years I had grippers and chokers at Gripmus. Uh -huh. uh, one of the things Gripmus was famous for was events that nobody else ever had. Yeah. Uh, so I put them in a choker, choked down to parallel, and I closed a uh, 192.8 two different years in a row, which is hard three and a half territory. Wow. And then I, I borrowed a number four off of Heath Sexton uh, that was 195 plus, and I closed it in a in a choker. So wow. I had horsepower. I just didn't know how to set. Yeah. Uh, my hardest, you know, block set gripper was a 156 which is just a, you know, a three. It yep. was a super master, I think is what it was, but it was a three. Wow. Uh, I, could yeah. do, I could do a lot of the, you know, you got to remember back in 2003, a lot of the things that were are being done now just weren't done by anybody hardly, you know, very few yeah. people. I mean, the number yeah. of guys pinching 245s was, you could probably name them all on one hand. Right, right. That's why I wanted to ask because I knew it would be stuff that, you know, evolved into just sort of commonplace now, yeah. uh, although well, I mean, still quite impressive, obviously, but. Uh, well, but if you did that stuff starting out today, no one would bat an eye. Yeah. Well, yeah. For one thing today, you could put it on a video and everybody could watch you do it. And back then we, we didn't do that. Right, right. So how was your changing or how has your training changed over the years? Uh, and then, you know, I see what you're doing these days. You look, uh, you did some cool um, birthday feats, so to speak. Um, I remember a couple months back and uh, just, and what are you up to nowadays for your training? It seems like you really mix it up. I always, I've had the same philosophy in my training. Well, basically ever since I became an adult and quit training just for, you know, ball sports and stuff. Uh, I train to be ready. And by that, I mean ready to do anything. I mean, you want to go rock climbing tomorrow? You know, my training has me ready to do that. You want to do an Olympic lifting contest tomorrow? Give me three weeks to hone a little technique and I'll be ready. I mean, I won't be peaked out or anything, but I can do it competently and safely. Right. Uh, and you name it, I want to be able to do it. You want to go flip a caber? Let's go flip cabers. That's cool. <laughs> you know, you want to, you know, you want to run a 5k. Yeah. I guess buy, buy a new pair of shoes and let's run a 5k bike race. <laughs> fine. Uh, you name it. I want to be able to do it. And that's cool. And I don't do all that stuff anymore, but for years I did. Uh, I did triathlons for a long time. I uh -huh. raced motorcycles for a long time. Wow. Uh, raced bicycles for a long time. <laughs> Did competitive so you just love for a long time. <laughs> you just love to compete, is what I'm hearing. You just lo you love I, to get in there and compete. I do. I love to compete, but I love the training. I think my gift in in all this world is that when most people get up in the morning and they say, "Oh crap, today's gym day," I get up every morning and I say, "Wow, I got to go to the gym today." Yeah, yeah. And I just I love just being out there moving picking up stuff you know bending it twisting it turning it yeah you know, hiking climbing whatever it is man I, I just i like that physical world yeah absolutely i can relate to that a lot for sure um 
how about the mental side of training or and in particular to bending you know it's obviously a extremely mental thing you know if you're not mentally ready you you're never gonna bend what you set out to uh, what's your thoughts on like the mental connection with this stuff the really good benders have have moved their off switch where you know everyone when you hit a bar you think you know i can only push this hard or it's going to hurt me yeah the really good benders they they have just mentally worked right through that to where they don't think that uh this bar is going to bend I mean, that's, there's no doubt in their mind. I mean, they just explode into it in a way that I like to think that I was average at exploding, but never like some of these guys. I mean, it's, it's spooky to watch the way they hit a bar. Yeah. Yeah. I've got to wonder if the bar is going to bend, if their forearm's going to bend. Yeah. Yeah. There is like a level of anxiety, especially with the biggest double overhand bends that uh, seems like something could go terrible <laughs> yeah bending is the most obvious thing mentally because you have to not only hit but you have to hold that same level yeah uh, yeah you know you do an olympic lift the whole lift's over in you know a, a snatch is over in maybe six or seven seconds you yeah. know clean and jerks maybe 15 if you hold it on your chest for a while uh, you know, power lifting, none of the lifts take a particularly long time. I mean, yeah, you have to psych up pretty hard. Uh, one of the things that I've never done much in training is lift on excitement. Okay, interesting. Uh, Andrew Durniant and I talk a lot. We're good friends. And we have come up with a, a theory of muscular lifters and CNS lifters. And okay. Most big bulky big muscled guys uh they get most of their their ability through their muscular power yeah most cns guys get it through their nervous system Uh, let's just say that the muscular guy can lift 100 pounds and he uses muscular ability to lift we'll say 80 of them the Mm -hmm. cns guy he can lift that same 80 pounds, but he can only lift 60 of it muscularly, and the other he has to work on excitement. Yep. And the difference is the amount of training that each type can endure. Uh, generally speaking, your muscular guys can train a whole lot more repetitions and intensity than your CNS guys before they burn out. Right. We're finding that in our track sprinters right now. Uh, we have to train them totally different uh, than we do uh, the lifters and stuff to yep. uh, to keep from overtraining them. Yep, interesting. I, I like what you said there, and that's something I've thought about a whole lot as I, you know, get have gotten exposed to some incredibly strong people over the last year, and a lot of them look pretty average. You know, like look like regular working guys, but yeah. you know what they're doing. Uh, whether it is with a barbell or a thick bar or 245s or piece of steel, whatever it is, it speaks for itself, you know, and I, I guess I, that is like what you're saying about the CNS in relation to the strength and, you know, something I've experienced uh, certainly is burnout from too much too fast, you know, uh, and I know other guys have talked about it and some of the the best benders are, you know, only bending about twice a week or something like that, because it just takes so much out of you. So what you're saying there makes total sense. And that ex- kind of explains some things. Cause I was like, how are these guys that just look like working regular working guys doing some of this crazy stuff in it? You know, you hit the nail on the head there. That's interesting. Well, I think the most popular theory of why one guy is stronger than another is uh, tendon insertions across the joint. Uh, I've read a lot of stuff over the years on that. Not a whole lot lately. It seemed to be real popular 10 years ago about ex- explanation for strength. Uh, okay, yeah. Just use wrist curl for an example. And if your tendon inserts here and mine inserts, you know, a quarter of an inch or an eighth of an inch farther across that joint, the amount of leverage effect would be, you know, dramatic. Yeah. And that was used, a lot of the reading I used to do talked about that, you know, why one guy squats more or you know benches more is just that tiny little bit of insertion difference wow 
crazy to think it just comes down to some tiny little thing like that. <laughs> tiny genetic little thing. Well, you know, big guys obviously have what I will call a greater potential to be strong. Right. I mean, you know, just, you know, you, the 300 pound guys are stronger than the 200 pound guys that are stronger than the 150 guys on average. Yeah. You know, you're going to find outliers everywhere. Sure. Uh, but that doesn't mean that the 200 pound guy may not be stronger than the 300 pound guy in any specific lift. Yep. Yep. Yeah. It's fascinating stuff. It really is. Oh, it is. All right. What's it? You, uh, how about other grip uh, competitions? I know you've had a long history in that, excluding uh, what are some just like things that stand out over your time competing at grip or maybe particular gripness? Uh, uh, years that stand out to you just some stories with that the thing that stands out the most in my mind in all my competitions was winning my one and only grip event overall <laughs> at one of john Beatty's uh contests he had a hercules hold and i won the event outright over chad woodall and john and this couple other strong men and all the other grip guys that were there that day it's the only time it's ever happened, so I brag on that. <laughs> nice. <laughs> it was an endurance thing, you know. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, the thing I liked the most about Gripness was what I liked the most about my training is the total variety. I mean, I introduced sledgehammers uh, on a support with a power with a safety rack around it so that you couldn't brain yourself when you failed. Which let people I think I go. just saw a picture of that. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, which let people go to failure. Uh, we did it one-armed a couple times. We did it two-armed a couple times. One time for max weight and one time for repetitions with a fixed weight. Wow. And, and that was that went over pretty well. Guys seemed to really like that. Yeah, uh, yeah. Cool. Uh, well. Then, you know, Grimace uh, was kind of famous for its medley. Yeah, I was one of the first guys to have, you know, 20 and 30 item medleys. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And That's cool. At the end, I ended up calling it the Jedley because nobody could beat the guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, That's pretty cool. But so it, another... it had to get more difficult constantly. I mean, every year, the, the challenge was to make it to where, you know, Andrew and Aaron and, and Jed and, you know, some of the big studs that came we're still challenged and yet you know guys that like you that just showed up out of the blue could still lift something and not feel just totally squashed sure yeah it, it, that was how come it ended up with so many different items in it yeah i could make you know seven or eight easy seven or eight moderate and seven or eight really hard yeah yeah that's cool yeah that's it yeah that you know, you want to make sure it's open to the, because this is like a, a sport that people are just picking up, you know, it's, they're not trying to be professionals at a grip or anything like that. So keeping it open to the person just starting makes a ton of sense, of course. Yeah, it was, I don't know, I, I enjoyed it every year. It got harder every year. Uh, the setup, the, the coming up with new challenges, cleaning the garage yeah. up after, you know, 25 guys decide to throw chalk all over everything. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So before we start wrapping up, um, Gil Goodman wrote me about wrist recovery. He, he, he uh, had some questions about that. I think he's dealing with a wrist injury right now. And, he, and I think he said you had devised some contraptions for people over the years or something like that. Uh, I invented several little things. Uh, Gil produces a couple of them. The tip tester was my invention. Uh, the napalm's nightmare that Jed came up with the idea and then I carried it out. That was my idea. Uh, wow. The execution of it, not the idea. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got a thing that's called the wrist thingy. Uh, <laughs> it's on. Well, and it's it's the one Gil's probably talking about because I know he has made several of them. Uh -huh. uh, it fits on the end of a of an Olympic bar so that it can turn and the rope goes down to a loading pin and you can rotate it like a sledgehammer. Only where okay. a sledge, sledge is totally easy to really, really hard. The wrist thingy is a constant. 
Oh, okay. Nice. The, the intensity doesn't change. The weight doesn't change. Uh, yep. You can you can use it like a sledgehammer lever, both ways. You can rotate it both ways. Uh, so it's right. a pretty versatile piece of equipment, and I I made it just for training to lever hammers better, but mm -hmm. it turned out to be a really good uh, rehab rehab tool. Because, right. you, know, you 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 can't lever what you can hold at 90 degrees on a, on yeah. a hammer or a one-ended dumbbell or something. Where on this, you can go clear down as far as your rotational strength will go and the weight doesn't change any. Yeah. yeah. You, can, you can control the intensity for rehab a lot better. Nice, nice. Uh, the biggest thing I believe in for rehab of, of anything is unloaded movement. In other words, you just, you never stop moving the thing but you don't load it up at all. You just kind of keep pumping blood at it the whole time. So you're just talking about using an empty bar? Like if we're just talking about traditional lifts? Okay, take, just say take a you know a piece of steel, yay long, one inch or whatever, then you mm -hmm. just bend it back and forth and back and forth and you lever it one way and you lever it up behind you and all that. But just, uh -huh. you know, say five pounds, almost, almost totally unloaded. Gotcha. But it's a very, very almost nothing intensity mm -hmm. but you get all that movement wow that's good all right well at the end of the show i do a rapid fire series of questions actually called the medley so here i'm going to take you go. through the medley here <laughs> <laughs> so uh favorite thing to bend we're talking material here whether bolts or steel or what was your favorite thing to bend for short bending it was just you know regular cold rolled steel I mean, you can get into the 1019s and the fancy numbers, but I just went to the steel yard and bought steel to train with, just cold yep. roll. Yep. Uh, so I like that. I hated bolts. Uh, grade <laughs> fives were okay. because uh, yep. But grade eights are that, you know, you bend it down and it just jumps right back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, for long bending, I would just, I liked uh, the flat stocks, you know, the one quarter, three eighths, half inch by one or three quarters or whatever. Uh, yep. Then moderate bending, whatever I could bend at that point in my career. Uh, yep. Like I always had a piece of uh, three eighths square by uh, usually 14 inches. I would have 16, 14 and 12 inches in the medley. Uh, yep to do a brace bend with, and it was worth, you know, one, two or three points, depending on the, the, the length. Yeah. Uh, so I like doing that for, you know, that distance, 14 inch, we'll call it. Uh, and then my favorite stuff to bend is probably three eighths square for a scroll. Oh, nice. Uh, because you can put so many twists in it and it looks really cool when you get done. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's hard to twist some of the bigger flat stocks. Right, right. Like that. How about something outside of strength in general, outside of bending, grip, all of this stuff that you enjoy doing? Something totally outside well, this world. I started rock climbing in 1983, and I still climb all the time. <laughs> nice, nice. I've got a climbing wall in my garage now. I've got one that my wife and I run in the rec center here uh -huh. in town. We've been running it as volunteers since 1997. Nice. So that's my that's my true hobby. Yeah, that's cool. <laughs> all right. How about um, all right? Who's the strongest person you know? This is a person. This one throws people. So you can, uh, you know, it could be some guy from your town growing up. It could be your mother, or father, or wife, or whoever. Uh, you know, it's totally open to your own interpretation. Or if it's just somebody that, you know, some name we all know you want to throw out, that's fine too. Okay. Well, you know, you have to specify in what. I mean, I worked at the Arnold at the Olympic lifting for over a decade, just, you know, loading and building platforms and stuff. So I got to meet, you know, some of the world champion Olympic lifters, uh, worked uh -huh. backstage and met some of the pro strong men that were performing on the stage. And obviously those guys were, the strongest guys in the world when you look at it overall numbers. Yep. You know, I've seen guys load 500 pound stones over a bar and crap there. I mean, 
the stuff you see at the Arnold is just not really normal. Right, right. <laughs> the strongest guy, most impressive feat of strength that I ever saw in my life was I was probably 16. I was working for Bartlett Tree Company and we were cutting right away as in the winter time. And we had this guy named Elmer. Well, Elmer was great big old burly bear guy and a little bit slow. Uh -huh. <laughs> and it didn't matter what we asked Elmer to do, he just did it. I mean, it didn't matter how heavy it was or whatever. So my buddy and I, we dug out this big old tree. You know, it was probably seven or eight feet long and I don't know, two feet around and waterlogged and we had to dig it out of the bank because we had to get rid of it. Yeah. And rolled it down this little hill. I don't know, it's probably three or four feet high. And we hollered at Elmer. I mean, it, it took both of us to even move this thing. And we had like branches under it, prying and everything to get it to roll over. We rolled yeah. it down at Elmer and yelled at Elmer, hey, Elmer. And Elmer just turned around and nonchalantly picked it up and threw it over his head into the fire. Oh, my God. <laughs> I love that. That's perfect. That's the stuff I'm looking for with that question. That's that is cool. <laughs> All right. How about funniest reaction a person has had when they found out you spend your time bending nails? Well, we'll start out with uh, the first grip contest I ever did. Uh, I went to the YMCA over in Tawanda where Jed lives. And, uh -huh. uh, you know, I walked in with all my friends and there's a, a woman sitting there, you know, taking your money to get in and everything. She says, uh, spe spectator or competitor? And I said competitor, and there was this quick triple take on her part. And then she covered it up pretty well and signed me up. <laughs> uh, like I said, I, I give these crescent wrenches away every year to my right. friends. And their parents just can't believe that that's done by hand. So the yep. kids all have to show them my YouTube video of it being actually done. Uh, that's probably the funniest thing you know you meet these people on the street and you know you know i saw the i saw the crescent wrench on the bank lady's desk she said you really do that yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, and i'm not very good at it yeah that's cool <laughs> all right uh in closing what how about some tips and advice for beginners of all kinds let's say beginner lifters beginner grip sport beginner benders so. i have been saying this for years uh train don't strain and build a base nice the biggest, the biggest problem i see with people is they want to test as soon as they start and every other day thereafter and they never yeah. bother to get stronger they just want to be stronger right and that's, that's why I, there's so many injuries that's excellent advice for sure all right, and where can people find you? I, uh, I know uh, if people have questions or anything like that, uh, you're on Facebook, um, any, I'm any on other- Facebook under my own name. Okay. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. It's Climber5111, 5111. Okay. Uh, and it shows, well, some of the stuff I've done. I, I don't video myself, I mean, like ever. Uh, yeah, but Nick Rosendahl, my good friend, he's he's got a lot of stuff that, that he's videoed of me on there, a lot of different lifts and, and stuff. Uh, oh, cool. Uh, I'll be glad to talk training with anyone that wants to talk. Great, great. And uh, that the Farm Strength group on Facebook where you post uh, your routines, is that your group or is that just a group no. you participate uh, in? That was started by Sean Dockery, Nick Rosendahl, and Nick's brother, Stu Rosendahl. And then they okay. invited me and a couple other guys in. It was an actual website for a long time. Uh, no, just separate that Doc ran. And then Doc mm -hmm. got three kids and decided that was a little more work than he needed. <laughs> and, uh, there's another guy that would be a good grip, uh, good guy to have on there. He's not yeah. real active in the grip scene anymore, but he was uh, foundational, we'll call it, in the grip board development. Uh, oh, they cool. called him Doc Blob. Okay. Uh, he could take a 50-pound blob and run it around in figure eights in between his legs and stuff. Nice. Way back before very many people could even lift one. Yeah. 
Very smart nice. guy. Good guy. Yeah. Have you had Nick Rosendahl on here yet? Nope. I haven't Nip's, had him either. Uh, Nip's probably top 10 in the world still on horseshoes. Okay. Great. Very good horseshoe bender. Uh, fairly uh, early red nail bender. Uh huh. Great. I'll get their contact from you for sure. Yeah. But uh, all right, Chris. Well, that's it. I thank you so much for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. It was fun. Yeah. Good to talk to you. And uh, we'll be in touch down the road. Have a great rest of the night. You too. All right. Thanks, Chris. Uh, night now. <laughs>